Hey everybody, Ian here before the episode. We had some technical difficulties with recording this episode. Uh, we have some new recording equipment that we were still getting dialed in. So James's audio is a little bit tinny, a little bit of reverb, but we've gotten all of that straightened out now. So next episode, we'll have that taken care of. Without further ado, please enjoy the episode. Welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. You're not going to tell me you think it's a Mexican goat sucker thing, are you? I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. And today we are going to be talking about a couple of North American cryptids that we thought were much older and much more established yeah. than they were. We also thought that they were both isolated to the American Southwest, and neither of them actually come from the American Southwest. <laughs> Surprise! So, so today we are going to be talking about the Chupacabra, as you may have guessed from James's quote, and the Jackalope. Nice. So, James, the Chupacabra. Yeah, so this was one of those things, I mean, I grew up in the Southwest, and I heard about this thing all the time growing up. My teachers knew about it, so yeah, I thought... This critter is going to be fairly established. I was expecting to get, you know, and maybe some Southwestern, you know, Native American or Mesoamerican culture. And um, earliest reported actual sighting, 1995, boys and girls. That's younger than most of our listeners, I guess. That's younger than me. Yeah, that's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, again, kind of like our vampire and werewolf feud lore this is one of those things where as you start digging in you realize this is more of a modern construct that has taken a good amount of wing and has gained quite a bit of traction yeah and one of the points that i saw in a lot of the articles talking about the chupacabra was that the prevalence of the internet in the mid and late 90s is the reason why it really took off. And it's the reason why it established such a stronghold in the popular mindset and the popular culture as quickly as it did. I wonder, is the Chupacabra then one of the first internet memes? Like yeah. with the first, like, creepypasta? Uh, I mean, I can't say that with any sort of certainty, but the internet certainly helped it. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely a front runner. In fact, you know, going through, it's weird that the description of the first sighting of the Chupacabra, they related directly to the 1995 movie Species, in which case the person that saw this, the description of the critter that they supposedly seen was almost an exact copy from the critter from that movie. So again, it's kind of strange. Again, a very modern contrivance, but still rather fun. So another thing that we were looking into, or at least... I was looking into on my end was, does the Chupacabra appear in D&D? Okay. And as far as I can tell in official public works, it doesn't. It would be in about the right time period to start appearing in D&D. Yeah, right about third edition would be perfect. Yeah, but as far as I can tell, it doesn't actually make any appearances. There are some different monsters from various editions that have bits and pieces that you can pull in several vampiric sort of beasties, but nothing that clearly says this is a chupacabra or based on the chupacabra. This means that the field is wide open, and I think we are headed here for a uh, Undercommon Taste exclusive. We should trademark this. Undercommon Chupacabra. It's ours. 
We called dibs. We licked it first. It's ours. <laughs> we licked it to claim it is ours. Okay. <laughs> that going in, so, I mean, the chupacabra, if you're not familiar, is about this supposed to be the size of a dog, perhaps a wolf. The initial report was a scaled critter of some sort, maybe reptilian. And it was actually first reported in all places, Puerto Rico. Not the continental or Mesoamerica, but on the island. Now, from there, the lore of it did seem to spread through Mexico and, again, the southwest U.S. When you start getting into the southern American states like Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, there are more sightings. And people tend to think that they are likely coyotes with a form of mange. And so it's a diseased dog. So, again, you have this scaly or thick-hided hound-looking creature with fangs. Sometimes it's going to look like it has spines because you're just going to have, you know, this wiry fur that's going to come off in patches. And again, it does kill livestock because these coyotes tend to prey on livestock naturally. So this gives us a good framework to build our critter off of if we were going to start from there. Right. So as I said, there are a couple of creatures that could form the base work for the chupacabra. Honestly, the one that I found that was probably closest to what the chupacabra appears to be in modern folklore would be the bar guest. Yeah, actually, I could see that as a really close relation, yeah. Now, the bar guest has that shape-shifting ability able to transform from a goblin to a wolf and then, depending on edition, have a sort of a hybrid werewolf sort of look in the middle. So that would be one way to go. Another would be a creature called a vor, which we have also talked about briefly. It is the demonic equivalent of the hellhound. It is a wolf, coyote, hyena sort of rat-looking thing native to the abyss. Sometimes they are furry. Sometimes they are mangy and scabby and you know, they're... Generally gross. They're creatures from a plane of chaotic evil. So yeah, they're going to be messed up. So yeah, those are some of the initial things that I saw that would lend themselves to the basis for a chupacabra. And for listeners who are fans of the Fallout series, what are they, the Deathstalkers from Fallout New Vegas? Yeah. So they're kind of this naked cat, dog-looking thing with a rattlesnake tail and... Yeah, they're really weird looking, but to me, that was clearly inspired by Chupacabra. Chupacabra. Right. Now, in Fallout 2, there's other creatures that, how do I want to phrase this, are generally found throughout the Appalachia and the Northeast. That begins with a W, and we are not quite ready to say the name of such creature because it's generally ill-advised to do such. Um, Close I can get is the Windy Boy. And that was in Fallout 2. So even throughout the Fallout series, they have borrowed from some American cryptids as well. So to see those Nightstalkers being a Chupacabra-like critter or their version of that would make a lot of sense. Especially, you know, you throw in the uh, forced evolution virus and a whole bunch of radiation. And yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, and given the geographic limitations of those games, you know, the initial Fallout games and Fallout New Vegas, that all happens in the American Southwest. And while, as we have mentioned, the origins of the Chupacabra are in Puerto Rico, the most commonly associated geographic region for Chupacabra sightings is the American Southwest, Mexico, you know, Upper Central America. Right. Like I said, they really have taken that and kind of claimed it as their own. So are we going to just go ahead and build this thing from the ground up? 
Oh, we might as well. Yeah, so I like the concept. Again, with this, I think we have some good credit. Definitely a bestial critter, you know, medium-sized, about the size of a dog or a coyote, so a little bit smaller than a wolf. The two things when I was reading this that I kind of really went with was either, one, a diseased critter, because this would lead into the mangy dog, and kind of like the Elder Scrolls, where vampirism was a progressive disease, that maybe this is a animal that has a form of vampirism that has not fully converted, in which case you would use something like this if you wanted to spend something off for like the Curse of Strat or have vampires in your scenario. Or something like the Vorn and you have a shock troop for your demon devil blood war. And either one of those or both mixed together could really run quite well. I don't see this as a shock troop. Okay. The Chupacabra, just in general to me, does not lend itself, it doesn't have the hardiness to lend itself to being a shock troop. Because the whole point of shock troops is to have something big and bulky and armored that can dish out a lot of damage and soak a lot of damage in order to break lines and sap resources. Okay, I can see that. So would this be more of a like a, a skirmish unit or a scout unit? Sort of like a scout or saboteur. I think a saboteur would work really well. So something that maybe because as it is a cryptid and cryptids are notoriously difficult to spot, they don't lend themselves to observation. So something that would have some stealth capabilities, maybe be able to turn itself invisible. Again, borrowing from the bar guest. Okay. And, you know, it... It has that vampiric aspect to it, so it is going to be draining life force from okay. its victims. So I'm thinking something along the lines of maybe have its bite attack also deal necrotic damage and it recovers hit points or gains temporary hit points proportional to the necrotic damage it deals. I really like that a lot. I think that goes well. And again, if we want to make this a disease carrier and keep some sort of constitution save with maybe some of these attacks as well, I do like the bar guest. I could also see this possibly shape-shifting into maybe a smaller critter like a gnome or a halfling as a part of its disguise capability. Okay. Yeah, we could work that in. I think these are definitely going to have an alignment and definitely on the chaotic side, probably chaotic evil. Well, if we are making them demonic, they just about have Have to to be be. chaotic evil. I think we tag it with the usually chaotic evil, but that would be where that would be coming from. Now, because the whole mythos behind the Chupacabra is that it will bite the goat and suck all of the blood out of it. Right. So what I'm thinking is that they have a bite attack. Yes. Whenever they bite something, let's say, do it as in normal grapple rules. So if they're a medium-sized creature, if the creature is large or smaller, they immediately grapple the creature that they're biting. And at the end of every one of that creature's turns that the chupacabra is still grappling them that's when that necrotic damage hits okay and it can trigger it on its turn as an action it can you know suck blood to ping that necrotic damage okay and if the creature is unable to get away from it at the end of that creature's turn it takes more necrotic damage okay simply because this thing is latched onto it and is sucking the blood out of it And what I would do is have it set up as this is a set amount of damage. Okay. You make the con save. On a successful con save, you take half damage. 
Yeah. But I think that the necrotic damage should also, on a failed save, reduce the target's maximum hit points. Yes. You know, because they're literally being exsanguinated. They're yeah. literally having all of the blood siphoned out of them. Right. So it's hard to heal what isn't there. Yes. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of the old second and third edition poisons where that did constitution damage. Where yes. It actually would lower your constitution score. And I would almost want to throw this in, but that would make them a really beefy character. And I think this Chupacabra, I mean... Follow along with me and tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking this probably should be like a CR half to CR two at most. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking somewhere in like the CR one to three yeah. range. Yeah, I mean because it feeds on goats, right? Which are you know like a CR one quarter, CR one half, right? And I mean, critter. Your wolf is going to be a CR one. I think your dire wolf is probably a CR two. Actually, I think your wolf's a CR one half. Uh, it possibly yeah, because I think winter wolves are a CR. Two or a CR three. So yeah, I think wolves are either a CR one half or a CR one. I don't see any reason why a chupacabra would be much more dangerous than a wolf. A wolf is a CR one quarter. One quarter. One quarter. So yeah, I would say a CR one for the chupacabra. Yeah, because um, it's, it's not going to travel in packs. What the a, wolves generally do. So yeah, I think that a a chupacabra just purely by this blood sucking, this necrotic. Yeah. element to it should have a much higher CR. And it's going to, again, it's going to be stealthy as well. So that's yeah. Going to so be- I'm thinking somewhere in the CR one to CR two range yeah. that would put it on, you know, it's a medium sized creature. So it's bite would be a D six, yeah. I believe a D six by default. Um, I say the extra necrotic damage and life steal would probably be a D four. Um, I would either do a D six or two D four. Okay. Especially since we're letting them save for half. Okay, yeah. So it needs to be a little bit beefier. Okay. It doesn't need to be a huge amount beefier. But but yet, like you're saying, this is something that is going to be a solitary creature. It's not going to have the assistance of other chupacabras helping it. You're not going to run into a pack of these things necessarily. Um if you do, something else is involved. You ran into a den, or one of the things I remember seeing when I was younger is rattlesnakes, when in the winter they kind of gather up and they have those huge breeding balls before yeah. they, they start hibernating for the winter. That was a terrifying video. Someone walking into their basement and it was just filled with rattlesnakes. It's like, and we're done here. We're breeding down the house now. So yeah, but again, too, if they are using these for uh, an infernal war, and again, this would be beyond the normal, but a breeding pen or a holding pen of Chupacabra. A Chupacabra kennel. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah, just my brain's running through scenarios where a party would like be breaking into a dungeon or a fortress and they, they come across the kennels and there's like six or eight Chupacabra in there and there's a trap to release the gates all at once. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> I just had an idea. Okay. Because what we have, in essence, is we have a critter that runs around, is stealthy, and sucks blood. Yes. Combine that with another fiend that we already have that is a little bit smaller, can fly, and also sucks blood. The Sturge. Yeah. So basically what we're doing is we are... Taking a Sturge, taking away its flight ability, replacing it with stealth, and just making it bigger. Yeah. So a Sturge is a CR 1 8th. They've got D4 hit die. They've got two hit points. Yeah, but the Sturge generally come in a swarm as well. They do often come in swarms, yes. But the blood drain that they have, 
on hit d4 plus 3 piercing damage and attaches to the target, which is basically what we're suggesting with the chupacabra. While attached, the Sturge doesn't attack. Instead, at the start of each of the Sturge's turns, the target loses the 1d4 plus 3 hit points due to blood loss. See here, it can detach itself by spending 5 feet of its movement. It does so after it drains 10 hit points of blood from the target or the target dies. Okay. A creature, including the target, can use its action to detach the Sturge. Because they're essentially overgrown mosquitoes. Right. Kind of crossed with bats. Yeah. It's basically if you gave a vampire bat a proboscis. Yeah. Which is not a mental image that I wanted to have this morning, but there it is. It's so, gift to you. My gift to you. Free of charge. So yeah, because the chupacabra is going to be a larger creature mm-hmm. and it's going to be stronger than a sturge. Yes. I'm thinking that having it make the grapple and while it's grappling... It drains yeah. automatically on its turn. With the necrotic damage. I like yeah. that. And then it can choose to either deal the necrotic damage on its turn or release and take its full turn. Okay. The other thing I would want to add to this as an option, because again, a lot of the descriptions, especially in the southwestern U.S. and northern Mexico, are these things, they think they're spiny. Again, because of that mange. So I would almost give them some defensive spines with piercing damage. So they could either bite or use the spine kind of like a porcupine. So that would make it look a little bit more like a howler. Okay. From Pandemonium, where they have the spines that they can rattle. Yeah. And that could be an interesting fill-in, hearkening back to our Deathstalkers from Fallout, or, you know, just rattlesnakes from the American Southwest. Yeah. Is they'll rattle the spines. Oh. Because porcupines do that, too. Yeah. They'll rattle their spines as a warning to warn off predators. So that could be a thing where if it feels threatened, it can rattle the spines. Maybe do it in such a way that it just has this passive ability to where if you make a melee attack against it, you have to make a dex save or you take so much piercing damage. Yeah. Where you just go to poke the chupacabra and it pokes back. Okay, I like that. The other thing I would suggest with this, and this would be probably for if we made a higher end or a beefier chupacabra, that Rattle would be able to institute not a fear because you don't want to run away, but something to kind of immobilize so it can initially get that grapple. So it shakes you, you freeze out of fear, apprehension, and then it latches. But again, that would be if we were scaling this up, I think we could overbalance this real quick. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think we need to go that far. No, but I, so. I do like the rattle. I do like the spines, and that gives it. So it does have an option other than just the bite. So additional stuff, it needs to have dark vision because it's a nocturnal creature. Yeah. Other than that... Proficiency with stealth. Proficiency with stealth. Possibly give it either the ability to turn invisible or... Give it the ability to cast Blur on itself. Okay. I like Blur. The other thing I would add, I would give it proficiency on perception checks if the target is wounded because it's going to smell blood. Or just give it keen smell. Keen smell would work. So it just has advantage on perception checks with smell. And that ties into that canid. Good deal. Again... Hit point wise, I'm thinking, um, you know, your dire wolves have about 40 to 45. I'm thinking this probably kind of scale it down to maybe 30 to 35. So we're going to be looking at probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a four hit die creature. As a medium creature, that would be a D8. So that would start off at 18 plus whatever we get from our con. Right. I don't know how stout you want to make it con wise. Thinking probably a plus two. Yeah. 
So that would put us right around 26 hit points. That would be a bit light for my taste, but we're going to be making up for that on the offensive side. Right, and too, with that necrotic bite, that can beef up potentially quickly. And that's also giving it a source of healing. Yes. So it's going to have a regenerative effect there. Okay. Now, here's the question. Do we want to treat that as actual healing, or do we want to treat that as temporary hit points? Temporary hit points. Okay. Strength-wise, again, I'm going to see this thing probably at a plus one or plus two. I'd say probably plus one. It's not going to be terribly strong. It's not going to be very large. Right. But it's going to be able to latch on and hold on for that grapple check. Yeah. It's going to be far more dexterous than it is. It's going to be nimble. It's going to be quick. It's going to rely a bit more on subtlety. So I would say that its dex is going to probably be a plus two, plus three, somewhere in that range. Um... Wisdom will be fairly high because it's going to be perceptive of its environment. It's going to have an animal intelligence. So we're looking in the one to three range on intelligence and probably not much more than that on the charisma. Yeah. So probably we're looking at the four to six range on charisma. So that'll be where it balances out. I'm liking this so far. And again, for that bite, probably a 1d6 and then a 2d4 on the necrotic. Right. Then a chance to save for half on the necrotic damage. No, I like how this turned out. I think we need to write this up and put it on the table. I think this is definitely something that should wind up in the patron. Yeah. And definitely on okay. pitch. Yeah, I think the time has come for the chubacabra to step up onto the table. It is time. <laughs> All right. So this brings us to our second critter that we thought we were going to have a dearth of information on. And we don't. <laughs> no. With this one, like, hey, we've got this thing. It's definitely American. We've got some good Americana here. We've got some European folklore of things that are similar. So I bet we can find some, like, medieval text that's going to kind of lead into this, where this thing came from. And it's just not there. Yeah. So the jackalope. The jackalope resulted from a couple of young guys who had some amateur taxidermy skills and they just decided that it would be funny to put antelope horns on a rabbit. I mean, it, they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. <laughs> and it looks cool. It really does. But this is in like 1932. All right. So a little bit older than our chupacabra, but definitely very, very modern. Yeah. And it is a portmanteau. It is a combination of jackrabbit and antelope. Oh. And so these are a type of rabbit that are predominantly found in the American West. They are longer and leaner and have bigger, longer ears than your standard rabbit. So these are going to be found, like I said, American West, probably the Western Rockies. Between the Rockies and the Sierra Nevadas is generally lore-wise today are noted. I do have a fun story with the jackalope, however. That makes me laugh even to this day. My sister in her youth was quite very gullible, and she was married, and her husband at the time wanted to go on a hunting trip. And she said that he could go on a hunting trip for jackalope if she got new furniture. And so he went to, it was Cabela's or Bass Pro, I forget what online magazine was, but showed her a taxidermy mount of a jackalope. And so she thought these things were real and that he was going to go on this hunting trip. And she was very excited because she was getting new living room furniture because her husband was going jackalope hunting. (laughs) So the geographic location where the jackalope first made its appearance was actually Douglas, Wyoming. Wyoming. So, yeah, again, the Western Rockies. But apparently the original went up into a hotel for a long time. And then in, I think it was 77, somebody stole it. (laughs) Okay. And it hasn't reappeared. 
And again, it's Wyoming. The winters are harsh. There's a whole lot. If we have Wyoming listeners, we love you. Thank you for listening. We're sorry. There's not a whole lot in Wyoming. It's a fairly open and empty state. Yeah. (laughs) An ex-brother-in-law of mine was out in uh, North Dakota for a while. Oh, that's another very... Oh, no. Not North Dakota. Montana. Sorry. Montana. But it's still another big, flat, open place. And uh, he would mention that your gas mileage was dependent on which direction you were driving wow because if you're driving into the wind versus whether you're driving with the wind especially if you're driving a truck could make a difference of up to five miles a gallon wow that's impressive just because that's how windy it gets sometimes so again that part of the u.s is very large it's very open there are forests it's used for cattle grazing so when it snows two feet in the wintertime and you've got nothing to do but drink and stay in your house and learn taxidermy and yeah why not make a jackalope (laughs) yeah so the fun thing though is that the jackalope is actually loosely based in reality because there is a condition that some rabbits can get it is caused by a strain of the papillona virus yes which causes a cancerous growth where the keratin of the hair on the face of the rabbit hardens into basically horn. Yeah, they're small, like, nubby horns, kind of like a giraffe would be. No, they're not huge antlers, but yeah, they do become horny protrusions. Yeah, and they can be on the head, they can be around the mouth. Um, So there are horned rabbits. Yes. Which is basically what a jackalope is. But it is the result of a cancerous growth, which is caused by a virus. And they don't grow antlers the way that you'll see a jackalope depicted. Correct. That said, I can never say this critter right. Because, again, this is when we started considering the jackalope is the volt. Volpertinger. Volpertinger. It's fun to say I can never say it right. It looks even better written out. Yeah. So the Volpertinger is a creature that comes from southern Germany. Imagine that. Usually the body of a rabbit or a squirrel with the horns of a stag and the wings of a duck. Duck. Or sometimes the wings of a pheasant. I was going to say, does it weigh as much as a duck? Possibly. Is it a witch? It's a witch, isn't it? (laughs) No, but I would love to have a witch with a Wolpertinger familiar. That would be awesome. Yeah. That would be really, really cool. Have a green hag with a Wolpertinger familiar? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're working with a jackalope, so yeah, I mean, we could see a, a hag with a jackalope familiar would make sense, too. Yeah. Let's just throw it in. Okay. So, there's not a whole lot of literature surrounding the Volpertinger. I can't even find even a rough date of where the Volpertinger originated. Okay. Now, there is a Swedish creature that is similar to the Volpertinger called a Skvader, which is literally just a winged rabbit. And that one is dated back to 1872. Okay. And there is actually a taxidermied skvader in a museum in Sweden that dates back to uh, 1918. Okay. So it's been on display for basically 100 years. That's awesome. And so that is another variant on this same monster. And the Wolpertanger has an Austrian counterpart called the Rarakel. (laughs) How's that that go again? I'm not going to do that. Which, according to all the very limited things that I'm able to find, is basically a Volpertinger with just a different name. Okay. So, if we're going to put this jackalope on the table... 
There's another. Oh, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. There's actually one that is closer to the jackalope than the Volbertanger. Okay. And it is one that is much older. Okay. It is Arabic in oh, origin. Awesome. Uh, and it is the Almirage. Almirage, okay. So the Almirage finds its origins in the stories of Iskander in Persian myth. Iskander being basically a folktale version of Alexander the Great with a lot of additional mythology tacked oh, yeah. onto like it. Like a tall tale. Yes. Okay. There are several different accounts dating back to the mid-13th century, I believe. Yeah, circa 1260, where Iskander is said to have come to this island and slain this dragon that was eating the villagers' livestock. And as a thank you, as a reward, he was gifted with the Almirage, which is this golden brown rabbit with a unicorn horn, basically. Interesting. The Almirage being the one of these that actually appears in D&D. Oh. It is a very, I don't want to say a very common, my first encounter with it, as I have mentioned before, I am a big fan of the Dragon Warrior, Dragon Quest games. Yes. Dragon Warrior has the Almirage in it, and it is usually a purple bunny with a unicorn horn. <laughs> that sounds like a great plushie. Oh, yeah. It would be amazing. But the game that I have probably the most hours of any game ever in my library is Dragon Warrior Monsters 2, where you're breeding monsters together and such. And they tie into this mythology of the Tales of Iskander because you breed a beast family monster to a dragon family monster, and that's how you get an Almirage. Okay. So they're keeping that dragon tie in there. I like that. And that's kind of going with what I was thinking. I think if we bring the jackalope to the table, this definitely needs to be a magical animal. Probably, yeah. And so the Almirage in 5th edition is actually present in the Tomb of Annihilation book. Because it's you find it in Chult. It is one of the forms of one of the trickster gods. Okay. One of the trickster gods takes the form of the Almirage. I am currently running a Tomb of Annihilation game on the weekends, and I have not come across this yet, so I, I'll have to look forward to that. I think it's Iraj, okay. I think is the name of the trickster god. If you take on the spirit of... Iraj, you gain the flaw of, I never stick to the plan. Okay. So it doesn't matter what happens. You just become very impulsive. Basically, um, you acquire ADHD. Yes. Oh, fair enough. Okay. So, so yeah. most D&D players. Yeah. <laughs> you get to act like you. It'll be, yeah, it'll yeah. be wonderful. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. So the Almirage is a bunny that is native originally to the Feywild. There are some accounts of different fey creatures trying to domesticate them use them for mounts because there are lots of tiny and diminutive fey yeah and that it is a notoriously fickle mount because they just sort of go where they want to go <laughs> uh, if you're lucky you can direct them to where you want to go and so they have that sort of golden brown fur a twisted unicorn like horn that can get up to a foot long but in fifth edition they're just a simple beast they're like a CR one quarter, CR one half. Okay. In older editions, I think in second edition, they have the ability to blink like a blink dog. Okay. Which again makes sense yeah. for a fake creature. Yeah. But yeah, that's generally 
what you get with the Almirage. It's no, no, I love that, and that fits perfect, especially if we want to do something kind of a Western theme or something along those lines. Like if you want to do a Red Dead Redemption type game, you know, when you're in the Rockies or you're in this mountainous thing, to come across a jackalope or two, I would be inclined to give it one, maybe two different cantrips to cast at will. This isn't going to be a huge threat. This is going to be probably kind of a fun thing to find. If anything, if I was building up a campaign, maybe this is something that has a bounty on it because they are so rare. Kind of like catching a leprechaun type thing. So their quest might be to track and hunt down a jackalope to bring it in so it can be examined or studied or put into a menagerie or something like that. It could be somebody is trying to capture enough of them to start domesticating them. Yeah. That could be, and so maybe you have a fake creature within your town that's passing as just your average everyday person, and they are trying to collect these jackalopes, because that ties back into the fae trying to domesticate them for mounts. I suppose, yeah. Yeah. So, jackalope tales are as varied as can be. Yeah. It all depends on what town you roll into, (laughs) but there are a couple of notable things. One is that they are said to be so dangerous that hunters are advised to wear stovepipes on their legs to keep from being gored. Okay, so this kind of reminds me of the Monty Python bunny a little bit. A little bit, yeah. But one of the ways to catch a jackalope is to entice it with whiskey, the jackalope's (laughs) beverage of choice. Of course it is. Dwarven spirits. We'll just go straight dwarven spirits. But here's the interesting one. Jackalopes can imitate the human voice. During the days of the Old West, when cowboys gathered by campfires singing at night, Jackalopes could be heard mimicking their voices or singing along, usually as a tenor. Oh, interesting. So we would need to include some sort of mimicry. Yes, absolutely. Along with that. I don't think that they are intelligent enough to actually speak on their own, but like a parrot, be able to mimic. mimic. Okay. Or you know what? Maybe they are just really hyper intelligent. I'm almost thinking like the rats in Hitchhiker's Guide, where they're intelligent enough to play dumb. Okay. And especially that would tie in with that whole kind of trickster or, vibe with the Fae as well. Or, you know, just to go back to our ADHD thing, yeah. they're hyper-intelligent, but they have zero attention span. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. Yes, perfect. Hey, look, shiny. <laughs> they are magpies. <laughs> okay, yeah. New headcanon. Yes. All right. So that would be how I would do it. I mean, we can start with the Almirage stats. The Almirage is, you know... Not a particularly dangerous creature. Oh, they're a CR zero. Oh, there you go. So three hit points. I don't understand how they're a CR zero whenever they can deal five damage around, but whatever. How many hit points do they have? Three. That's probably why. Well, I mean, the Sturge is a CR one eighth and it has two hit points and deals five damage around. So I don't know. It doesn't matter. I would make it a little more beefy. Yeah. I mean, like give it two hit dice. 2d4? 2d6. 2d6, okay. So that would give it 7 hit points. I think the Frostbite cantrip would fit. Potentially. But the other thing is they are associated with the American Southwest, which also gets very hot. Well, again, too, that South, it's not so much the Southwest as it is the West in general. And again, we're looking at the Rockies. We're looking at Wyoming, Montana, Colorado. And those winters get very cold, that the snow gets fairly deep. They say Wyoming has nine months of winter. So that kind of thing. And two, that would be the thing that would attack the legs against wearing stovepipes on your legs. It's attacking cold would not be well advised. Yes, but it's got a gore attack. Yeah, it does have a gore attack. So maybe include a charge thing where if it moves 
at least 10 feet in a straight line towards its target before it attacks with its gore attack. It deals extra damage. damage. Okay, yeah. So, like, have the gore attack be a d6, and if it charges, it gets an additional d6. Okay. This thing needs to be exceptionally quick because it's a rabbit. So You're right. give it a, probably a 40, if not... All Mirage has a 50. 50? Okay, yeah. Then let's give it a 50... 50 movement speed. Yeah. Give it a burrow speed, maybe. Yeah. Because it is a rabbit. Rabbit. Yeah, so it's going to be highly intelligent, just kind of spacey. So again, that's where I'm thinking it probably could cast cantrips as well. It is going to have that ability to mimic and talk. So I would give it at least two languages, common and probably sylvian. Or elven and sylvan. Elven and sylvan, yeah. Because the elves originated in the Feywild. Okay. Yeah, that would be a decent tie-in. The Elmirage has keen senses, so it has advantage on hearing or sight. Okay. Which... That works. That works. That ties in. Like I said, I would make the horns something valuable, like either used in a spell component or something like that. So yeah. these things are likely to have a bounty. They are going to be skittish, hard to find, but people do look for them. And they do have some ability to defend themselves, but generally they are going to bamf out and disappear. Yeah, give them Misty Step. Yeah. Give them the ability to Misty Step. That also ties into that Fey thing because a Fey Pacted Warlock ends up getting Misty Step as a freebie. Invocation? No, as an archetype ability. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, as a, as a built-in to the Fey Pacted Warlock. Gotcha. So tying into the Fey, giving them that ability to Misty Step, or giving them the ability to sort of glamour almost. Yeah. Maybe they're able to hide their antlers. You know what? They need some illusion magic spells. Absolutely. Yeah, so minor illusion. So yeah, I would give it... Minor illusion at will. Well, it's a cantrip, so... Yeah, I would say disguise self maybe once or twice a day and blur once a day. Okay. Yeah, that would work. These are all fairly defensive spells, but this would also help it. And again, that ties in with the intelligence. They are going to be difficult to find. They're not something you're going to stumble across every day for obvious reasons. They're not going to be stealthy like our Chupacabra. They're just going to go, nope, you don't see me. And then they're going to go off to Jekyllope stuff. And possibly pass without a trace? Yeah, I can see that too. Yeah. Pass to that trace once a day, so that way, if they're threatened, they can nope out. Yeah, these things are going to be neutral to chaotic neutral, probably true neutral on these. I would say chaotic neutral. Okay. These things are chaos incarnate. <laughs> Especially if they are hyper-intelligent yeah. with no attention span. Right. They are chaos incarnate. Okay. They do what their impulses tell them to do Okay. without... Any questions? Well, I see that, but that's not within regard to law because they are animals. They are intelligent. So, I mean, well, they might they might want to mess with the town. I mean, I could see. So this is one of those things where I don't think that it is a willful decision. Okay. Because this is not a, they are making the choice to be chaotic. They are chaotic by nature. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can follow that. So that is where I'm going with that. Okay. So trying to think with as intelligent as they are. If our players were to find one and not try to murder Hobo it, but trying to sit and talk to it, maybe they entice it with singing. Maybe you've got a bard and your jackalope really enjoys the bard's singing. What would the jackalope be enticed to want or do or exchange this bard with? It wants whiskey. Yeah, that is, <laughs> yes, that is our answer right there. You are correct, sir. You lure it out with song, and then you get it drunk with whiskey. Okay. That's how you hunt for jackalope. That, okay. That is, well done. Okay. Question answered. I should have thought and, of that. that and then good. whenever it passes out drunk, you scoop it up and you put it in a box. Okay. Perfect. That's how you go jackalope hunting. <laughs> this is perfect. I love it. Yeah. 
So this is just a silly little thing, and I love it. Yeah, no, this is really fun. I really do enjoy the Chupacabra as well. I think when we get this written up on the table, that could be a lot of fun. I definitely deserves its moment. I am surprised that there has not been an official version of the Chupacabra yet. So, Blizzard's ours. Dibs. Ha. Oh, wait. <laughs> it's Watsy, not Blizzard. Oh, yeah. Watsy. Wow. I've been playing a lot of Diablo 4 lately, so... <laughs> I've noticed. It's a little shifted. Yeah. So, Watsy, ours. We call Dibs. Can't have it. It's ours now. <laughs> not like we could do anything to Hasbro if they decided to... Yeah, right. <laughs> if they decided to take it. Anyway. Our, I, our handwritten cease and desist letter. <laughs> yes. We'll let Nora do our letterhead. They have to respect a marker-drawn letterhead done by a five-year-old. It'll look like it's been written by a jackalope. Yep. <laughs> our jackalope... Our jackalope... Legal staff? Yes. <laughs> That's why we can't get anything done. Yeah, exactly. He's like, they're perfectly capable. It's just that they we can't get them to we sit down and do it. The jackalope is us. <laughs> oh, well, I think that brings us to the end of today. No, today was a lot of fun. Again, for critters that have surprisingly shallow amount of lore backing them, there is still quite a bit, again, with a little bit of imagination that you could do. And if you're homebrewing some stuff and putting these on the table, I think it would definitely be a fun treat for your players. So... Next time, we're going to try and get into some of the various demi-human cryptids. We have had a request for Mothman, so I think we will try and get Mothman into our next episode. There will probably be someone else we haven't decided who yet. Okay. But the Mothman will probably make an appearance next time. Excellent. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under commentaste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our smoldering inbox at, at UCT Homebrew on Twitter. Uh, we are also on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, and Mastodon at UndercommonTaste. We are on Patreon, patreon.com slash UndercommonTaste. That's where our write-ups go eventually. When we're at Jackalopes. When, yeah. See, there's my excuse. Yeah. Is I've been wrangling Jackalopes. <laughs> We also have an itch store under commentaste.itch.io where you can find our liminal horror adventure beneath the lake and my solo RPG forever home. Finally, we are on discord and you can find the link to our discord in the show notes. We'd love for you to come over and chat with us. If this is your first time listening to us, welcome. We're glad you found us. You can find our other podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, please subscribe and give us a rate and review. This helps us, increases our visibility and lets us know what you want to hear more of. So stay safe, everyone. And we will see you all again in two weeks. Happy gaming. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Under Common Taste. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Kroll and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycroll.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycroll. Our logo is by David Sutherland. You can find more of David's work on deviantart.com slash David Sutherland or on instagram.com slash willx underscore 73. We'll be back in two weeks, so stay safe, and we'll see you then.